With Republicans in charge of the House and Democrats the Senate, you can bet on sharp disagreements over the budget. In fact, it's not too early to worry about an impasse leading to a government shutdown. Yes, indeed, only January. We get the outlook from WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. And is that actually the case? Mitchell. It, it really is, Tom. It's incredible that we're here in January and already talking about it. And it's it's very serious discussions taking place right now. And that is all, of course, because of the big change in the House. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy giving away a lot to hard right conservatives, fiscal conservatives, in exchange for getting the gavel. It's a combination of promises, pledges, and rule changes. So House Republicans are talking about holding the budget to fiscal 2022 limits before that big one point seven trillion dollar omnibus bill was passed last month that could mean well over a hundred billion dollars in spending cuts and that right there is one of the reasons why there is such serious discussion about the possibility of a government shutdown there's also concern about the defense budget some republicans as well as democrats worried that this could lead to defense cuts as well and then there's another interesting thing that's going to be taking place because of the rules changes republicans want to approve each of the 12 spending bills in the house separately and over open them up to amendments. Now, that sounds fairly benign, and it used to be done a long time ago, but as you know, it has not been done recently. So that could potentially get very messy with people lobbying up amendments and trying to get each of these bills through the committees. Members of the House Freedom Caucus and others want to get away from those big omnibus bills that no one can read before there's a vote on them with 4,000 plus pages. But also on the House Republican wish list is that the Senate would need to get all of its appropriations in order before a vote later this year. And of course, we know that never happens, at least in recent history. Uh, the Senate didn't even get to its appropriations until well into 2022. It just never happened. So that's why there's a lot of nervousness right now about a shutdown. And just to be fair or balanced here, having each chamber of Congress look at 12 appropriations bills on time separately that used to be called regular order, what exactly. they were supposed to do. Exactly. That's really the way it is supposed to be done, regular order. There are legitimate concerns among the conservatives in the House about how all of this has transpired over recent years. They argue that why would you have basically the four most powerful people in the House and Senate, the, the leadership, giving ultimate agreement on these big omnibus bills? They say that all of this process really sidelines what a legislator is supposed to do which is to come to Washington, help fund the government, make decisions on various policies, and that it was supposed to go through regular order. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a legitimate standing for what a lot of this, uh, well, a lot of these reforms are going through. And I guess we won't see the return of the line item veto that was so popular up through Bill Clinton's presidency, and even he got overturned on most of those. Right. But there is something older called the Holman Rule. That's resurrected now. I thought that was the name of the lounge at the press club. <laughs> no, the Holman Rule is back. Uh, goes way back to uh, the 19th century, but most recently it was brought back in 2017 by Republicans. They tried to use it. Basically, it allows lawmakers to specifically target federal agencies and potentially even federal workers could get in the political bullseye. That was part of this rules package that House Republicans approved last week. Now, it could be largely symbolic, but it does uh, send some shivers around uh, federal agencies and among federal employees. Just the uh, symbolic nature of the fact that anybody potentially could be targeted if uh, 
lawmaker or a bunch of lawmakers don't like what's going on in a particular agency or in a particular hallway, for that matter. Now, Democrats throughout the Washington area, who, uh, as you well know, are big defenders of federal workers, they have really pushed back hard on this. Again, I don't think it's going to to go anywhere because, of course, the Democratic-controlled Senate could block uh, Republicans from using this provision. But it is another sign that House Republicans are pushing hard to try to go after what they say are a lot of unelected bureaucrats and they want to cut back. We're speaking with Mitchell Miller, WTOP's Capitol Hill correspondent. And let me ask you about this select subcommittee being formed on the weaponization of the federal government, their word. Are they talking about things like uh, which some Republicans did not like when Attorney General Merrick Garland felt that people yelling at school board members should be looked at as terrorists, that kind of thing? Right, exactly. And so it's really a huge, very, very broad mission that Democrats are highly critical of. They say basically it can go after anything, but you know it can go after the Justice Department if they feel that there's things that are not going correctly in, in the way, for example, these classified documents problems are arising and how they're being investigated. They could go investigate the investigators, if you will. They could go look at the FBI. Is the FBI properly going after things in in the way that uh, Republicans think they should? Now, Jim Jordan, um, the Ohio congressman, he will likely lead this committee, a select subcommittee, as well as the Judiciary Committee. Uh, He has made no secret of the fact that he thinks that uh, the FBI and some other federal agencies, particularly in law enforcement, have overreached in a lot of cases. He says that they've had whistleblowers from the FBI come to uh, him and other lawmakers saying that there's some politicization of these agencies. So it's going to be interesting to see how far reaching it goes. You know, Democrats have this picture of an octopus just reaching into every single thing that's upsetting Republicans, basically. But, you know, there are areas of legitimate oversight, but we'll have to see how far it actually goes. And some of those suction cups on the octopus belong (laughs) to the IRS. There's going to be reopening of debate on spending at least the extra spending that was part of a non-appropriations bill, the uh, infrastructure bill for the IRS getting that extra $80 billion. Right. So that was a big uh, campaign promise from Republicans during the midterms. They said they're going to cut these 87,000 IRS agents. Of course, if you fact check it, it's not all agents. There are not 87,000 agents that are going to be hired. This would include people in IT. This would include people that are just processing forms. But nonetheless, it's a, another big symbolic vote that the House Republicans have taken to to put the IRS on notice that, you know, we're not just going to throw a bunch of money at the agency, even though a lot of people, including some moderate Republicans, believe that the IRS really needs more money to get up to date. There has been some progress within the IRS. Uh, The National Taxpayer Advocate recently stating that there is probably going to be a much better year for IRS staffers as well, of course, as taxpayers in terms of getting help and getting their files through. There was a backlog that was close to, it was approaching 5 million individual returns. They eventually have been whittling it down over and over, month by month, and by the end of December, The backlog was down to just about 400,000 individual returns. So Democrats and and others who support the IRS in terms of their mission say, you know, they've got to have the the funding and the resources and the modern equipment to do the job to get these tax forms through. 
and we'll be speaking on this show with Aaron Collins, the taxpayer advocate, later this week. And maybe they could just hire 87,000 people to answer the phones. That would, <laughs> right, that would start exactly. a lot of the For anybody who's waited on the other end of that phone tree, wow, that yeah. is brutal. And close to the hearts and minds and maybe other body parts of the federal workforce <laughs> itself is the newly named House Oversight and Accountability Committee with its show up as in show up to the federal office where you we want you to work. Right. Bill. Yep. Uh, Kentucky Congressman James Comer, who is heading this committee, they want to basically hold everybody to account. And so this is part of what they want to do is make sure that federal agencies are requiring people to return to their offices, to their federal offices at the pre-pandemic levels. Again, this is another signaled piece of legislation that probably is going to get bottled up and not go anywhere. But it is an indication that Republicans in general really are making a push to get people back in these federal offices. A lot of lawmakers are. There is some bipartisan support for that as well, but it's primarily Republicans. And um, they are getting some pushback from, from Democrats who say, well, telework in a lot of cases really, really works. And we've been pushing for years to get more federal workers to telework so they don't want this kind of progress to be pushed back. And finally, there are some changes on the capital operations itself, particularly the end of proxy voting, which kind of gets to the show up bill. Provision. Right, exactly. Uh, Republicans have made it very clear that they want lawmakers in the chamber voting on these bills. Uh, they've complained about the fact that there were all these Zoom meetings for hearings, that people didn't have to actually show up. And, and it was from both sides. Democrats and Republicans were both using proxy voting a lot. And it was supposed to be if you were really in dire straits and couldn't get here because of the pandemic, obviously it got stretched to a, a lot of other reasons beyond that. One interesting um, side effect of that I noticed uh, this past week was with all the people here in the chamber, the vote went much quicker, and they were very efficiently run, I have to say, by the Republicans. They gaveled in. They said it was going to be a 15-minute vote. A lot of the times when they say it's going to be a 15-minute vote, you really don't know how long it's going to be. And during the pandemic, some of the votes, each of the votes would take uh, close to an hour, whereas now all of these votes are actually taking 15 minutes. Uh, also related to the chamber, uh, Republicans want to get more visitors to be able to come into the gallery. There's been limits on that, so they're working that out. And then another change that you just notice when you're walking through the Capitol is on the particularly on the second floor and the first floor where lawmakers would come through to get to the chamber. There are no longer the magnetometers or metal detectors that people would have to go through after January 6th. So a lot of changes within the Capitol uh, happening just at the very start of the year right now. Well, I like the idea of that fast voting. I suppose now that if you're sitting in the Senate barbershop or the House gift shop and that light goes on over the clock, you better get going right. over there and <laughs> actually vote. Start moving. Exactly. So it does seem to have an efficient effect. Mitchell Miller is Capitol Hill correspondent for WTOP. As always, thanks so much. You bet. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Take the Federal Drive with you. Subscribe to the podcast version wherever you get your shows. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons 
that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, ba- they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know often when you'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he 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 faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. uh, We get more than we give uh, working with special Olympics. And, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but, but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones. Cause I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so, uh, joyful and, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we, we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but, uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. 
you know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that won't help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think when you, when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.